0: Hi everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? I'm hanging out with my good friend Gaz. Hiya Gaz. Hello everybody. What are we talking about this week Gaz? Are we talking about systems again?
1: Systematic. Yeah sure, but not perhaps <laughs> what's your favourite system or whatever else. It's kind of, have we got too many systems? Are there enough now actually? Have we got all the systems we well ever need? Or is it just like one system for one man? Can you pick your favourite thing and just play with that? I don't know. People seems to be still creating new systems. They keep popping up. There's big fat books full of chapters of rules. Do we really need them anymore? Or have we settled down into our own thing? Or Are they for the new kids? I don't know. Have you got favourite systems, Baz? Do you look for new ones anymore, or do you just always play your favourite version of D and D? All of the above. And uh, playing my favourite version of D and D
0: doesn't stop me buying systems because everyone's writing systems to play D and D with. <laughs> so, <laughs> that hasn't stopped it. Uh, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play D and D using the Shadowrun rules no I'm not, I'm going to use uh, leverage and I'm going to hack that so that I can go into dungeons, oh it never ends um, <laughs> so yeah loads to talk about with systems
1: what are, they, what are they adding then, why would why would you do such a thing Barry yeah, like, because like the old school renaissance or whatever you want to call it is all really about breaking down the rules or use a really simple one and playing the kind mm-hmm. of game you want to play rather than worrying about the system or anything so what what's the point, why would you make a leverage D&D game for example What's it giving you that you can't just get anyway?
0: Uh, I think there's two ways. Uh, The first one is you always feel like you could do a better job than the original designer because the original designer can't live in your head. So you might feel that, although it's kind of your favourite game, it's only 95% of the way there, you love D&D, but you wish it had a couple of rough edges smoothed over. And and after a certain amount of time, you've got enough of a collection where you can see other people might have uh, adopted something better. Whether that be a new encumbrance system or a new way of tracking sanity. Anything like that. So you've got your favourite game, which you broadly love, but no such there's no such thing as a perfect game, is there? So you think, I'll import something else into it. Or it's the other way around, which is you find a new game system. We'll go with Leverage. It's an old game now, but it's Cortex Plus, really, isn't it? And, and, and that's a really cool system. And you think, oh, that's so cool for Leverage why wouldn't it be cool for me to play my cyberpunk net running game using that rule system? And you think, and that'll make me extra clever because hacking games is like a hobby of its own that I've noticed over the last few Definitely, years when people yeah. can do their own publishing, that sort of thing. And, and I guess we'll talk about that a little bit as well, won't we? But that you, I think you would come at it from two different ways. I, I think it's um, it's kind of a natural thing to do in a creative hobby, I would imagine.
1: Well, yeah. Well, it's strange because I think historically, you have one GM in, in the old traditional games before you had a refs and things. You have one GM, and uh, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah, no, that's a little <laughs> Easter egg for the guys on the UK role players forum. I don't think anybody else understand the reference, but uh, you can research it if you wish. Um Yeah, like in the old days, like I, I think you and I both discussed this previously, where you're the GM, so you buy all the books and read all the stuff and write all the games. Mm-hmm. The games at your house, and you provide the snacks and everything, and, it's, and players do very little in that kind of old setup. And there's still people like that today. They just want to rock up and play games with fair play, and they can get away with it, to be honest. Uh, but I think, yeah, I definitely see the thing you've said more and more these days. People seem to want to hack things to to get the sort of game they want, and it's it's quite strange. It's like a hobby in itself. I was going to say strange, but it's curious to me because people seem to spend more time, for example, hacking powered by the the apocalypse type stuff than playing powered by the apocalypse type stuff they seem to get more mileage out of the different tweaks and things like that if we take something like um, Blades in the Dark which isn't strictly powered by the apocalypse but it's got a similar sort of system to it or a setup up in the way the dice rolls with extra bells and whistles that's been going on for months now i backed it on Kickstarter and I kind of mm. want it but there's a whole slew of people who seem to have like a massive amount of fun in terms of changing the background, what the rules can do all kinds of stuff, I'm still waiting for the game so maybe it's a mm-hmm. is it a separate hobby in itself? Actually, creating worlds or systems to use them, or tweaking things to kind of get help you get the experience you want, rather than actually just playing to see what happens. Do people want to micromanage what their fun's going to look like? Yeah, they do. They do absolutely. Well, GMs do. GMs
0: do, and and perhaps only a certain a certain segment of GMs as well because uh, don't get me wrong, I'm convinced there's an awful lot of people out there um, buying their Star Wars Age of of the Empire box set and they are just playing Star Wars. And and out of that segment of GMs, there will be a section of them who are looking at the funny-shaped dice with the strange symbols on it and wondering if they can use it to power some kind of 1920s horror scenario. So I think it's a segment within a segment within a segment. But if you are at all interested in the role-playing community which we are, and I imagine the audience for this podcast is, I think you probably feel that there's an awful lot of hacking going on and maybe not too much playing of Keep on the Borderlands, for want of a better example. And uh, and that's what it looks like to me on my G Plus feed and in the forums I frequent. As you say, I, I can hardly find an actual play for Powered by the Apocalypse in Apocalypse World but I can't move for various hacks of it with fighter pilots and with strange monsters in the shadows and teenage angst and, and all that other good stuff, and it is good stuff, but that's, um, it's like people buy a rule book now so that they have no intention of ever playing it, but just use it as a starting point. And, and this, is, this might be a bit contentious, and I don't mean to sound it nearly so petty-minded as it's no doubt going to come out, but perhaps so that they can use it as a, a springboard to becoming the sainted level of designer, Themselves,
1: yeah, that is an odd uh, niche. I think some people just create stuff and they they really enjoy doing it uh, and produce some really good and deep and uh, detailed content. So, um, if you look at someone like and Morningstar, for example, who's one of the indie darlings, as certain people in the UK would call him, but it's just, I think, to my view, I don't know, I don't really know the guy to be honest, but he just seems someone who likes making his little games. Probably little, it sounds Mm -hmm. a bit pejorative, I didn't mean it that way, but small press games. And they're really detailed about a particular idea and puts a lot of effort into that and research and really fine crafts it and comes out with something really cool. And then you get other people who just seem to produce content for the sake of being a designer. Uh I know guys who've tried to like kickstart or crowdsource them going to some lot of convention in Finland or something like that and trying to get people to fund them so they can go because it'll fund their development or something like that. I mean, I'm you know i quite fortunate mm. that I've got a job where I want to go on a training course, the company pays for it. So I guess if you're an independent writer or whatever, you have to get crowdsourced to do it. But it seems really odd that you'd be asking people for money so you could go to a convention basically. And you will learn stuff when you learn mm. and develop your craft. But why should other people pay for you to go and learn stuff when, I don't know, maybe I'm just not of that mindset because I'm so used to paying to go to my own conventions if you know what I mean because it's part of the hobby and you love it and I think there's possibly a difference there between people who like doing what they're doing and want to produce cool games and have people play and that sort of thing and then people who view it as a sort of I don't know, achievement level or something or something they want to unlock and then become mm-hmm. a personality maybe, I don't know I'm perhaps being unkind, I don't know but I can definitely see a split between people who are producing good quality content Consistently, and that's because they want to produce good stuff and have good ideas and want to explore a, an idea or a way of playing or something like that or a particular genre. And then some of the people who just seem to want to knock stuff out—it doesn't seem to have the same care and love, if you know what I mean. Maybe that's my perception.
0: Yeah. No, I, I th- no, I do think, that, and it is going to sound a bit petty, and and maybe it's the politics of envy, but I think it's um, I think it's a noble tradition of being a gamer that perhaps one of the biggest accolades you can ever have as a gamer if you were trying to unlock achievements would be to say that you were published. And I remember getting published in magazines back in the days when magazines existed and being really pretty proud of myself for getting articles published in those. I thought that was kind of cool, actually. And you've written adventures for companies and I've written stuff and we've both knocked around with self-publishing and it's a nice thing to have your name on the front of something. What I find perhaps a little bit strange is the idea of taking, say, the open game licence and taking maybe the the bare text of D&D, spending half an hour on a Word programme, swapping out a few things with Control-F and Control-R, and then saying, I'm now a games designer, by sticking it up on Drive-Thru and charging a couple of quid for it. And, And, again, I'm going to sound really old and grumpy now, but... I used to have three books with AD&D written down the side and a binder full of my house rules, but that doesn't make me a game designer. That makes me a DM. <laughs> and, and that's, that's for me, the difference. Now, that that's painting an awful lot of published authors with a very broad brush. But I think it does stand that it's it's almost trivial to hack a game and put it up for sale. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, but it doesn't make you doesn't make you a beacon of the hobby for in my eyes and perhaps these guys aren't trying to be some probably are but you'd get more kudos from from me if that counts for anything if you came up with imaginative content and for me i see that more in adventures and source books and campaign outlines uh scenarios one shots at conventions more than here's my take on original D and and I've got, I'm going to call it something slightly
1: odd and put lasers in it. It's not enough for me. No. Well, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, do we need do we need any more systems, though, to kind of, like, move away from perhaps some of the small designers and certainly don't want to seem like we're discouraging people from creating their own content or writing their own games, if that's what they going to do? You know, more power to you. But do we actually need more systems? Is, is creating a new system a thing? Is it just because of copyright? Because, you know, you've got... Savage Worlds is one of my favourites uh, a lot of people like Fate mm. you've got whatever flavour of D&D you want and a lot of them are fundamentally the same certainly the more old school ones uh, you've got GURPS, you've got all kinds of generic systems Cortex Plus there's loads of stuff out for you. you can easily hack, Powered by the Apocalypse is everywhere do we actually need mm. new games I mean, is that perhaps a barrier people are creating from themselves and they're thinking they want, they've want they got this great idea and they want to produce a game for it but they don't know what to use to run it and they want a system so, mm. so they feel like they have to come up with a system And due to the saturation we've got on all the different methods there are already, they perhaps trying too hard to think of something that's not what we've got already to try and come up with something different would be quite hard. I don't know how I'd start, if you know what I mean. If I was unless it was a small Mm. press game specifically trying to emulate a particular genre or a movie or a real small thing, if I was looking at a a bigger plough than that, if I was going to produce several supplements or, you know, a bigger game, I'd find it hard to come up with a brand new system that did something that we haven't already got.
0: Mm. yeah it it would be tough but it still happens i I think it's a business decision i think when you when you say like you've got a cool idea for a game i bet that cool idea for the game isn't a card mechanic or uh or or a way of interpreting 4d4 that's not a cool idea for a game a cool idea for a game it could be something licensey like um let's do a a conan game because conan's kind of cool um and uh, that's a perfect example of, of of something that's coming out fairly recently it's kickstarted again now isn't yeah. it and interestingly enough that's got a new system for it too which is I think trying to be a bit proprietary but but your cool idea for a game is going to be about a set of stories you can imagine telling or a set of sessions you can imagine having or you instantly half a dozen scenarios pop into your head that for me is the cool idea and then as soon as you start thinking about systems for it anybody with with any sort of role-playing time under their belt i would imagine is thinking shall i use fate shall i make it d20 shall i make it uh, savage worlds and you kind of start casting around for what's a good fit and if you can't think it's a really good fit you might then make a business decision which is like oh i wonder how many of these i could sell and it'd be completely my own and i wouldn't have to worry about license fees or giving away my work or giving royalties to dm's guild online and i suspect it's kind of a weird kind of money thing and, and nobody makes any money out of role-playing, so that's a strange avenue to go down. But I wouldn't mind betting that's kind of the impulse for people thinking, I want it to be mine. Not Maybe not cash, cold hard cash, but just ownership, Yeah, perhaps. And it may, maybe designers think, I could write a World of Fate, which will get published and people will buy it, but it'd be kind of half-belonging to somebody else, or I can do my swashbuckling airship game and think up something to do with this D30 that I bought at Gen Con last year that's
1: probably what happens yeah that sounds fair I think possibly, I don't know, perhaps I don't buy the uh, the blurb or the sales because certainly if you've got a new system you need to be able to tell people what it can do or say that it's good or in a way there's kind of like a tacit uh, pressure to say that your system is better at doing the thing that you're trying to do than other things that already do it if, you, if that makes any sense at all hmm so, if you add your airship pirate game, you kind of need to put in there somewhere about it being brilliant for airship fights, or, you know, there's whatever, there's great rules for chases in airships, or, you know, it does swashbuckling better than anything else, which is, you know, you'd have to try and sell it that way. And a lot of, I don't know, I think it might be my natural suspicion, but when I read things like that, I think, but yeah. is it, is your swashbuckling game actually going to be that good? If you look at, for example, uh, seven cs just been rebooted and made millions, because John Wick's taken ownership mm-hmm. again. Like, I can't help thinking if it's something like that, I could probably do it in seven C, and that'd be something worth getting. Rather than you know, a another I've not heard of who's telling me that his game's best for swashbuckling. I don't know whether I'd. It might be awesome. It could be absolutely brilliant, but I don't know how. How you, as someone who written that, would compete with something like a big name that's published and accepted? I don't know. It's probably. Um a bit of snobbery or just brand recognition that I probably think that John Wick's game due to the hundreds of player testers and the number of years it's been in production and the rest of it has probably got a better system than the one you were telling me is great so mm-hmm. how how do you get past that I guess is one thing not that we you know great for indie, indie advice or anything because we've not published indie games to any no. degree but, but that's as, as, not as to a, any great degree speak, <laughs> speaking as a punter that's what I'm kind of thinking is I never quite buy it because they always seem to the ones that really tend to be a bit over the top in how great the system's going to be and how it can handle everything. And I always think, well, can it? Because yeah. you know, there's a lot of good systems out there already. So when you are telling me yours is better than those, I kind of think, is it? Mm-hmm. Or is it just a different way of doing them, perhaps?
0: yeah well you see you say you don't buy it and I know you mean that as a metaphor because I know that realistically you do buy it with your cash and I've seen you do it oh I was the the so, book <laughs> I just don't buy what they tell me yeah and, we, and we've been at conventions where we've been through those sort of like boxes of games and everything's a bit shrink wrapped so you read the back cover and the back cover will often say like yeah uh, features innovative new social mechanics yeah and we'll like cock an eyebrow at each other and get a 20 pound notes out and think well alright I'll give it a go and oh, there's loads of games that you and I have bought and been absolutely burned on because they make a big deal on the back cover of either their new take on sword fighting, or they will proudly say how much better they are than Rollmaster or whatever it is that was the the, the classic game of the day. D twenty's got loads of that going on, hasn't it? Like like D and D, but better. Yeah, which is usually the first kind of like amber warning light on the back of the book. And I'm trying to think of some of the games you've bought, mate. There's, oh, this isn't going to help, but it's one with a blue cover and a kind of a bronze sextant on the front. <laughs> the
1: children of, children Piliya, of the Sun. But children of the Sun.
0: There you go. Children of the Sun. I was nearly there. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which I bought and, entirely. I because tales it said,
1: of Gargantia. Yeah. I bought it entirely because it said Dieselpunk on the cover. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so, And you, you think, oh, that's new because it was then. Yeah. Well, I wonder how it does it. And, and that's enough to pique your interest um, but and this was back in the 90s wasn't it but if you were trying to release that game set and I've no idea what it's about and you've probably got less of an idea than I have because he <laughs> probably didn't read much of it but it just went on a dusty shelf but if you were the producer of that game now you would probably I'm going to hazard a guess here you would take your idea for whatever that setting was and I bet you would look to Powered by the Apocalypse or Fate
1: that would be my guess yeah maybe or some other thing, I don't know it must be difficult
0: and that might be quite sad if you did
1: yeah I I, th- I think you're right I think you're in a bit of a rock and a hard place That if mm. I, I agree with you, if I was producing something I kind of feel it's like half someone else's if have mm. used their system even though they've you know mm. had nothing to do with it uh, apart from obviously they said system.
0: you can have it for free as well yeah they say, knock yourself out. Take my—it's not even a license. You don't even have to ask. It's just yours, which is true of a lot of the big kind of core systems now. Yeah. And I don't know, just feel a little bit like, oh yeah, but all I've got
1: to do is like change a couple of d sixes, then it can be mine. It's a bit, yeah, and the system thing's a little bit odd um, in terms of. I think it's the the Art Dream guys with Delta Green, and they they've published their new Delta Green rules as uh, open gaming license or whatever, but. I can't imagine a situation in which I want to use those rules, unless it was for Delta Green, mm. if you know what I mean, because they've been yeah, you know, they, they started off with a Cthulhu sort of base, and then have really tailored it over many months and years to be specifically for that game, and then now mm. you're saying you can use it for whatever though, it's kind of like well, you, you've mm. kind of honed it for that game so I mean it's good that they, they're allowing you to use it for whatever you want, but I don't know, it just seems like, if it's if you've really sort of like Made this thing sing for the thing you want it to for this particular genre and the games you want to play. Why would people mm-hmm. then take it and run something else with it? But then I don't know. I like, like I said, you could use all kinds of systems, like do leverage for D and D or that kind of thing. Because leverage probably in, the, in its inception, they never thought of doing D D with it. But it seems to make sense now. You said it. Which well, you know it, I
0: mean. It's because it's about it's about a bunch of people planning a robbery, which is <laughs> every D and D game ever. Uh, <laughs> so it's not far off, I suppose. Um, my perspective on this is is home by the last couple of years. I, I, I've done exactly what I've I've counselled against, which is I've, I've I've taken a run at designing a few games, some successfully, and and most of them kind of fizzle after a while, which I'm sure they do for all people who try and write their own games from scratch. Cause it's quite a big undertaking and um, so two examples I've had a crack at at writing a World War 2 game and very very recently I've had a crack at at writing a game that would support playing Netrunner as a role playing game and in the end with both of those things I ended up leaning towards Fate because it's a narrative system that's really good at telling stories and it's a game I know pretty well, eminently hackable and it gives you a sort of a base to start from. So, and, and, and do you know what? I can't think of many games I'd want to write where I didn't end up leaning towards fate. So it does feel like <laughs> a massive pull. And, and not particularly a good one because I, I, it's, it's not my favorite game at all. But it's a system that just seems to be something you can bend into shape. But then some way down the line, in, in a couple of cases, many hundreds of thousands of words down the line... What I thought was, honestly, I should be writing scenarios rather than a game system here. If I can't think of half a dozen cool plots or one-shots to do in this setting that I've either got in my head or I've made up or mashed together, that would be a way more creative and fruitful use of my time than trying to come up with mechanical geegors Either nicked from other systems or Frankenstein together from half a dozen or mashed up, that will let me tell a story. It's like you've got to kind of know what the story is first. Mm. And it occurred to me that even doing World War Two, I might have been better off just writing a whole bunch of really cool commando missions, and then oh, playing with anything, playing with playing with RuneQuest doesn't bloody matter. Just to play test it to see if the plots and the scenarios were any good and then you know think about the rules later but the rules came to dominate my thinking mm. and i realized that i was just writing a system for a system's sake instead of something that was designed to be played and it only gets played if there's something to do does that make any sense
1: it does yeah no, exactly what mean. i mean i mean i do like systems so i want it to work for what i'm trying to do but you're right if you can't think of a few cool things you want to do straight away then you kind of doesn't matter how good your system is um and it's i suppose it's related but it seems funny that, if you remember those old magazines you talked about, quite often they had something systemless in it. They might have a and d adventure or a Cthulhu scenario or something mm-hmm. like that in the old White Dwarfs and that kind of thing. And they had a systemless adventure and everybody always turned their nose up at it. So even though there might be lots of good ideas in it, if it didn't actually say something, do you know what I mean? I'd rather see mm-hmm. uh, a scenario for riffs than a systemless one, even though i would never played riffs in my life, sort of thing. Do you know what it yeah. is? It feels like it's it's not your thing or it's not associated with your interests potentially or that sort of stuff or you're not sure you might be too woolly I don't know it doesn't seem to have the immediate grab does it whereas if you've got a system or a way of playing attached to it you're more likely to want to think yeah that's my kind of stuff and I'll read it or did, did you not find that but I was always turned off by stuff that was systemless and I thought you're just going to try and make it generic and it's not going to be cool enough or have the right detail yeah. you know, like a generic fantasy mission probably wouldn't interest me but if you told me there's an earth dawn one or one for dark sun or something like that i'd be much more likely to read it
0: yes i totally agree
1: yeah I, the generic stuff
0: just comes across as generic <laughs> clearly uh, which means it's, it's it could suffer from being a bit vanilla a bit bland etc and and i would uh i suppose to bring it into the modern parlance if i were going to be looking at a a kind of a modern true crime thing that seems quite generic but I'd always rather play something to do with cult because that's interesting and it's got its own twists and it's got its own flavours and so on. But, to your point, that decision, that preference would always be based on setting, not system. So, if I saw an Earththorn scenario, I wouldn't want to play it because of the step system, although I enjoy the step system. That's not the draw. And cipher system to go right up to date with probably the most recent big new system that's going to spread across multiple rulebooks the cipher system intrigues me but it doesn't make me want to play the game. What makes me want to play the game is our friend Pete running Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. using the cipher system and I'm intrigued to see how that goes but it's not the dice system that's going to get me coming back for a second session it's going to be the scenario
1: Yeah I think that's a good example because I'm still not sold on Cypher. I think it's a bit lightweight for me. I'm not sure there's enough crunch there, but I can definitely see its advantages from my use in terms of things like, you say, convention games and that sort of stuff. Uh, It does work quite well, Um, but you know, I kind of want the cool stuff that goes with it, so I bought, was it like the Nine Worlds of something or other? I can't remember, because in one of them there's kind of a when the Nazis won the war kind of thing, and it's kind of a twenty fifty, but what if Germany won and that kind of stuff and some other bits and pieces like that, all these kind of mm. different alternate world settings and cyber and all kinds of stuff. Uh and I read two or three of them and they were just fucking dull. Like there was just absolutely no information <laughs> about the like the the sort of the featured German fatherland type thing was just it basically three personalities who don't like each other. And that was it really. And you know, and they're in charge there's a bit of resistance yeah. and there was n no, was no detail to go on. I kind of would have been just as well with the idea, what if Germans won World War Two? go, I'd make my mm. own stuff up to be honest so while the cipher mm. I think is pretty good uh, I'm finding a lot of the support material i try to buy, certainly some of the adventures as well aren't giving me the ideas I think that's the crucial failing So it's, I think that's a good example of uh, a worthwhile system with good seed ideas but then the execution of mm. the, the extra words around just don't seem to do it for me, maybe other people get a lot of joy well I know some people do but I read and i'm not getting the things aren't pinging off the page for me which i think i want more than because mm. the system's lightweight if you know what i mean i'm not going to buy a book and then get lots of cool system things out of it because there's not enough there to to make it worth buying so it's just ideas then and they're not there for me so i think that's one where if your system isn't detailed you can kind of just deliver your basic system and then everything else has got to be cool stuff hasn't it that cover that follows
0: well, it, it does for you, mate, and, yeah. and I think it probably does for me as well. But there are system fanboys, and um, which is fine, fanboys and girls, and uh, and the Cipher System and Fate and powered by the Apocalypse are probably the big three. Where I think the fans of those systems are legion, and they'll buy whatever gets released next that's got that system in it. And I think you know Cipher System has definitely got its own demographic now. Um, and it's you know it's going to fund multiple kickstarters and do very very well out of it, not because it 's rubbish, I think it 's good stuff it's maybe not for me but it's it's got its fans, but they'll get it because it 's got the cipher system in. There are people no doubt collect powered by the apocalypse games, and i'm absolutely convinced there are people who subscribe with a capital S to fate and all of its releases um i've been like that with 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 game lines before but Those game lines were stuff like Earththorn and people did it with Vampire. Arguably, the old World of Darkness was one of those sort of big multi-genre core systems because I was about to say, but now people follow a system more than they follow a setting and they'll follow it across multiple settings. What do you think?
1: Uh, Yeah, quite potentially. But those are the kind of generic systems, aren't they? It's funny because certainly Apocalypse World the the system felt very much tied to the setting and what they were trying to set up and the things that would happen so now that's kind of like pitched out I don't know you see one come out for Apocalypse World every now and again or the the Powered by the Apocalypse games and uh, the pundits will all sort of laud it and say like this person actually gets it and I think it's really uh, prominent when that happens That or what what people are saying basically is there's a lot of people out there who are hacking stuff and don't really get it Which sort of feels a bit like Mm. snobbery, but I also agree with it to a certain extent as well. Because some Mm -hmm. of the stuff I've read seem to be they've just changed some of the move names or, you know, changed a couple of bits and pieces around, but not really thought about what are you going to do in the game. It comes back to that thing you were talking about. It's like, what cool stuff are your players going to do and how do we enable that? Mm. Rather than trying to make the, you know, tune the engine up or change the oil or change the disc pads or something to make it a bit more performant. Uh, It seems a bit, Mm. I don't know. About face, but it perhaps comes mm-hmm. to what we said to originally that some people want to tinker with systems, and that's what that's part of their hobby. That's what they get a lot of the time from. You know, they're spending lots of hours fiddling about with the system to tune it and we'll follow the system around and look at the new hacks and see if they can include them. That rather than the actual playing of the game, perhaps, or maybe they do play as much, but it's just another hobby.
0: Well, it, uh, I guess bringing it to practical practical terms, I, I drive myself mad with my sort of gadfly approach to systems because a system would be my absolute favorite and then two months later I'll have bought another one and that's my new favorite. And, and it kind of, uh, my players must despair every time I come back from the game shop because they know that the campaign's going to have to veer off into they're going to have to redo their characters probably in the same setting, probably the same <laughs> campaign but now we're going to use another variant of, of a D20 chassis which has been bent through about 12 other things already. And um, I mean I counted up the other day i've got i 've got in excess of forty variants of d and d on my shelves that 's nonsense that's absolutely rubbish <laughs> yeah. and, and that 's discounting the fact that i 'm going to house rule all of them anything that I play is going to have like you know various sort of amendments and so on and, and I guess that's the thing that is driving me mad because what I used to call a house rule is now a publishable game. <laughs> People do a house rule and because word exists and drive through that becomes something with a with binding on it and a color cover it's bonkers and i keep buying them i buy other people's house rules and hacks because i'm interested in seeing how they've bent the system and then it takes me ages because you think oh i really do know D quite well so this won't take long and it might be a 48 page book but i've got to look through every single line to see which tiny tweak they've made and which ones haven't they made and then I end up sitting there playing it I played 5th edition last night and I made a rules call that was based on something I learnt in 2nd edition which I didn't even know if it was in the new edition or not I just assumed it was and then you think why am I buying rules at all <laughs> madness
1: <laughs> yeah it is crazy well that, that sort of reminds me of something one of the um, interviews with the Netrunner guys I think it was Damon Stone they were talking to him and saying you know, do, you not, do you not miss that you can't play in these tournaments all the rest of it and he's saying well I'm, I'm like Twelve packs ahead of you guys. I'm playing with whole new cards. There's cards you've got that we don't have anymore. <laughs> and this is like it just been madness for me to play, and it does feel a bit like that with things like D and D or that sort of that ilk. where there's so many additions and different rules and tweaks, and you've got your own house rules and preferences and everything else, or something that to- somebody told you once at a convention and you've assumed is right and never looked it up. It's crazy. Mm. I don't know. As long as everybody at the table can agree to it, I guess it's okay. But it is when you play at conventions that those little things can come out sometimes, or. You, like you say, you wonder why you've bought so many editions of rules if all you're going to do is straight away get your marker out and start telling them why they're wrong or what you want to change or yeah, you know, we all do it, don't you? Read through and you start tutting and going, no, well this was better in third edition what are you doing? Why have you done that? That's clearly That's wrong, right. etc. But as you yeah. pointed out, they just produce a, a game of rules by consensus and it's for the broadest audience possible then individual GMs and groups have got to work out what's best for them
0: Yeah it, it's I mean, I think the system's still really, really important for loads of different reasons. And I suppose one of the worlds that we inhabit quite a bit is the convention world and, and writing up scenarios and putting up sign-up sheets and having people want to sign up for them. And for me, one of the first things I look at when I see a sign-up sheet at a con is, what system is it? And, and oh, I guess despite everything I've said for the last half hour, possibly the biggest draw to a game is what system it's going to be. So if I see a game that's going to use... Oh, I don't know, just for sense of a for, for sense of an example... World War Cthulhu... it kind of secondary what the mission or the scenario is underneath that... Because I want to try that out... And I've got a broad idea of how that game's going to be... And it's like, cool, I'm doing that on Saturday afternoon... I'm playing World War Cthulhu... You don't say the name of the scenario, do you, to your pals? No. You say the system you're going to run... But equally... I wouldn't put up a sign-up sheet that just said it's a game of Dungeons & Dragons because there's a million follow-on questions that have to happen. And you wouldn't put up it's a game of Savage Worlds because it's, it's so generic. You need to have something behind that But still, there will be people who don't want to play Savage Worlds, or people who love it so much it doesn't matter what you put, they're going to sign up for it because it's their favourite system. So it's still a really important part of the mix, isn't it, for getting people at your table, whether at home or at a con.
1: Yeah, it is. I think all the other bits come into it as well. Because I I am, something Savage Worlds, I'm quite happy to play it, because I've run so much of it at cons. It's relatively rare I actually get to play it again, so I'm quite happy to do that. Um, but then you know you see the number of players is eight, and straight away I think oh, I'm not. That just feels mm-hmm. like too many people. And even though it's a quick system, I know for the way the session's going to go, even if it only really takes thirty seconds on their turn, and the gem's got a bit of time, it's five minutes between you rolling some dice every time because that's the nature of having so many people mm-hmm. around the table. Um, but it, that only comes from having some system knowledge. If it was some system I didn't know about, the eight people that might be perfectly fine because it might be conflict resolution and everybody's opposed so everybody gets to roll at the same time or flip cards or whatever it is and not Jenga Towers over so that might be really quick and I'm really involved all the time um, so maybe knowing the system perhaps gives you a bit of a bit of insight to make a better informed choice but can't be a driver in of myself I know I've played some games where I think I really mm. like this system and then I've seen the execution of it at the table and had a really uh, unhappy time shall we say because the way the GM's running mm. it or what he's ignoring in terms of rules or what he's added in or how he's interpreting things just doesn't sit with how I think the game should go in my head and how I run it with my group. So that ends up being a bit of a jarring experience. Yeah. So
0: so moving forward a bit then, guess, so have you <coughs> recently or would would you now would you spend your gaming pounds on uh on a new book or a new PDF or a new whatever purely because you think it might have an interesting system in it or because someone's told you it would have would that get your disposable income
1: no next question Mm. um probably (laughs) not (laughs) probably not um certainly on a large scale or and i won't want to buy another generic system i've got so many generic (laughs) systems i can't count them and i've got my favorites and some i'll play anyway and i don't need another one I don't need to learn another system to play a generic setting that I want to play anyway. I've probably got a favourite system I want to use for that anyway. Um, something I'm, mm. I'm more likely to do is if it's if it's a small press game and they've created a system for doing the thing that they are doing, if you know what I mean. So something like Durance right. to talk about a German, Jason Morningstar game where you're on a prison planet. It's kind of like it's science fiction but if you imagine kind of when transportation was a thing we used to send criminals off to Australia and that kind of stuff and they lived out of this harsh terrain and lived or died on the community it's that kind of thing but in space Mm. and a bit futuristic but within his system there's all this stuff about how you generate what the world's like or what their relationships are or who the characters are in so the system there is more about the world building side of things so those are the sort of systems I'm probably more interested in or that seem relevant is to have the sort of game that we want here's a set of tools to kind of set all that stuff up or to guide you in a way of producing something that's going to make those games happen. So that seems cool. In mm. terms of how to hit an oracle, whatever, I think we've got plenty of content already on how to do that in various different ways and various different levels of mm. detail. So that on itself is not going to do something. But if you come up with a cool idea like we're playing Ice Pirates in the future, here's your great Ice Pirate rules and you need to know about X, Y, and Z and here's how you do it, then that's probably fine. I'm happy with that and I'm bored with it. Um, so you, you mm. one game I wanted to ask about actually because I nearly bought it today but um, word got in the way, Into the Odd which uh, the blurb of the blame oh, yeah. for that seems to have quite a lot of talk about the system and stuff but I didn't really get a feel from it in terms of what that meant apart from the system was quite um, quick and easy or free and easy so have you had a chance to digest it yet or but that's 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 an yeah. example of something that's given got me curious about it. But I don't really know enough about whether the systems will work for me or not. Yeah,
0: it, it's it's a good example because it's um, ostensibly it's another D and D style game. It's it's an old school uh, OSR publication, small press, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and it's someone's unique take on how they play D and D. May, I don't know the author. The author might might have been busy playing in Glorantha for 20 years and this is just their own thing. I don't know. But I imagine this is how they play D&D or it's how they want to play D&D. Maybe they dreamt it up on their own and not done loads and loads of testing around the table. I don't know. So that's what it is, except from the outside it's really interesting because I picked it up because of rave reviews from people I trust over a very long period of time people still rave about it now and it's been out for a, a good couple of years so it's not exactly the new hotness anymore and it was available at a price which was <clears throat> trivial a couple of cups of coffee so and clearly my 40 plus versions of D aren't enough <laughs> and there's always room for 41 <laughs> what put me off it originally was the title because I think when it's called Into the Odd, I couldn't help but think of things like, um, oh, there's a video game what it used to be called Oddworld. Uh, and I just get visions of stuff like low life for Savage Worlds, yeah. which is all a bit sort of cartoony and a little bit wacky and a bit zany. And I don't really like games like that. So that kind of put me off. And it turns out it's nothing like that at all. So there's two parts to it there's the setting bit, which could be I don't know, probably 18th, 19th century anywhere in the world so you've got like a kind of industrial revolution going on Um, firearms, uh, power armour all kinds of weird mechanica probably goggles, haven't checked be surprised if they weren't in there clockwork (laughs) owls, that kind of stuff so it's D&D but ramped up a little bit okay, good, with you on that and then it's got loads and loads and loads of Uh, well it hasn't got loads, it's got very little it's really really stripped down but what it does have is billions of little seeds so it's full of just stupidly cool phrases that immediately inspire you to string together some stuff so it's very improvisational and a bit sort of rules-like rules themselves, nothing to it, it's really stripped down you've got three stats which line up with the three saves from modern D&D and you've got hit points and you don't roll to attack, you just roll damage (laughs) <laughs> so there's a, there's an automatic assumption of hitting um, or if you roll very little there's an automatic assumption you're chipping away at their morale or at their their stamina or however you want to describe it is up to you yeah. but hit points are a pacing mechanic so they did away with the attack roll so that's, that's clever actually and then everything else is safe. The whole thing's wrapped up in 48 pages it's got a city, a dungeon, a wilderness area uh, three levels of magic uh, warfare rules <laughs> it's just, it's immense but it's just wrapped up in the absolute distillation of a game now i can see it getting quite silly and quite gonzo so that turns me off a bit but i'd want to run it deadpan so uh, but to go back to the whole point of this is are there too many systems into the odd does something a little bit different and it's a quick enough digestible read for the player certainly it's like half a dozen pages that you don't feel like you have to trawl it to see if they've still got attacks of opportunity. If you come to it with a bit of D&D knowledge, you'll be alright. If you come to it with no D&D knowledge, or no role-playing knowledge, you'd struggle. It's not for the for the newbie gamer, but it's more like a kind of a style sheet for people who already play fantasy dungeon delving and wilderness expeditions. And I really like that. I think that's there should be more of that and less of the Here's my style sheet for how to play vampire and I'm going to knock it up into a 320 page book. <laughs> I'm much more interested in like, you know, how I theme my campaign and this is the kind of place I base it in and here's a list of my antagonists and and strip it down to a pamphlet and give me, you know, what you do with with Conan or what you do with the Dracula myth or how you play in Eberron. I'd really i I'd like to buy things like that rather than I started with that and I thought I'd make my own fantasy game out of it. I've got enough of those. I, I, I that's a really long answer to your short question and I <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree though. <clears throat> Have you played Lady Blackbird? Mm-hmm. That's another one where Lovely. it's got its own little system. Um but it's all about the flavour and the the setting, the the setup of the scenario. And people just want mm-hmm. more. And there's these like squid things in this cloudy thing and you're kind of like well what are they where do they come from, what else is there yeah. but the, it doesn't tell you any more than that it just gives you the like really cool ideas and seeds and you kind of got to discover the rest of your player, people are crying out for like more of the stuff in that world, to tell us more mm-hmm. and I'd rather be in that situation than where a lot of the books you have to buy these big tomes that are just kind of endless pages and you just can't get any cool stuff out of them you have to hunt around through all the words and purple prose to find you're interesting bits so yeah I'm, I'm yeah. with you on that one I recently bought Mutant Chronicles because I was like that's a slightly different system, I wouldn't mind trying it and I used to play Warzone, I like all the old Paul Bonner right? I used to play the war game and stuff and the card game a bit seems cool but I just I haven't had the motivation to read it yet because it is a big thick you know, telephone directory of a book yeah. again and every time I pick it up, hey I strain my shoulder because I'm old now and leaning over and picking up something that heavy is a bit of a problem but trying to sit down and read through it every mm. evening I just can't get motivated with everything else I've got going on. Compared to something like you say, you know, into the odd 48 pages, well, I'm pretty sure over the space of, say, a week or two weeks, if I read two pages a day, I can get through it and I know, you know, it's achievable. I don't know, there'll be good ideas in it. I think that's the difference is perhaps when I was young and fancy free and had hours and hours to spend doing nothing, reading big tomes was uh, something I was interested in or had the time to develop and Mm. understand a new system and thrash it out a bit more. Uh, I think these days for us old fogies having something like small and digestible just to get the digestive the sorry, the imagination flowing. That's the kind mm. of thing I'm after. But horses for courses.
0: Well yeah, I I read In into the odd I read back to back in an hour. It's 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 great. Uh, but uh, that doesn't mean it's that lightweight. Um one more example would be in, in a normal D and D game you'd have an equipment chapter and that's always the bit that slows it down with character generation and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And into the odd, you have a great big table that takes up a whole page and you have your strength stat down one axis and across the other axis you have your hit points which start between one and six. And you cross-reference those two things and it gives you a package of starting equipment. And that starting equipment can include cigars or an eagle or a laser or an interesting top hat or (laughs) or a connection with Lady Eliza who runs the boudoir at the docks. Uh, and that, there's four or five things in there, and off you go, uh, and that, and you've already generated those two numbers with the rest of your character, and they're all going to be different, and and off you go. So in that one page, which you don't have to read because it's a table, so you look it up. You you wouldn't read a table in advance, would you? You just roll the dice and see what you got off that table. That's 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 done away with eighty, ninety pages of trad game book. Yeah. And it's got just as many ideas in it, if not more. And that's, that's just clever. And that is a system, but maybe it's actually it's the removal of a system. It's paring away at it, and that's where I see the best designs. And my favourite systems now are the ones that that, that that kind of pair stuff back, just so that I can get it read. Because if I can get it read, I can get excited about it. And if I can get excited about it, I can get players.
1: Mm. and
0: And that's what you need to be able to do. Stuff that happens in play and... You know, but the the I I don't have time to learn the new 2d20 system that will be in Mutant Chronicles. Even if it's good, it's going to have to be really good. And that's no worse than people were saying in 1978 when a second role-playing game came along, and they said, "But I already know how to play D&D. Why would I learn another game?" <laughs> well, I, I kind of feel like those guys now, but I've got hundreds of systems. No time to learn another one.
1: Yeah, I, I think it is certainly part of the <clears throat> some of the RSI type stuff, like uh, Zach Smith and that kind of thing, where they just produce content that's got lots of ideas in it and tables, and like even the the inside cover of the book's got kind of things you can roll or drop your dice on, and where they land will give you some information. It's just about giving you that seed mm. to get going. But I'm wondering whether we find them useful because we've got so many years and back catalogue of experience and know how to run games and come up with ideas and all the rest of it. If you just is it as valuable do you think for someone who's new to a game if they just have a table of stuff and they go and they know they've got a cigar but it doesn't say matches on there or anything like that do they <laughs> well, would, I don't know, I guess people take to things in different ways, I just perhaps worry a little bit that things that perhaps you or I are looking for in terms of we just need the germs of ideas and then we will go with that and make huge stories out of it mm. is it perhaps a shortcut and if you're new to a game completely or relatively new that those seeds aren't enough in and of themselves you kind of still be looking around from page to page trying to find where the rest of the system is or the equipment list or that kind of thing does that make any sense? Mm. It does, it's a good shout because
0: No, I don't think you are, I think that's a good shout because the thing with OSR is you've got a big old store of other knowledge that you arrived with before you cracked open an OSR book so you've got a great big book full of ideas it might be stripped down mechanics and all the rest of it but just like i did last night i leaned on a rule from second edition to answer a question i had in ostensibly a fifth edition game Uh, and it may well be in the fifth edition book now so if you took something like into the odd and it was based on rune quest is a game i have far less familiarity with and i'd be struggling a little bit to flesh it out i could flesh out all the ideas and all the setting and that kind of stuff but i would be a little bit stuck if it was if i had to try and remember a hit location chart for a centaur for example And i'm pretty sure that old school RuneQuest quest players would know that off the back of the hand, not a clue so there's that but then that brings us back to the question of are there is there too many systems do we need any more is there or is there always room for new ones It depends on the story you're trying to tell. Um, I actually don't try and tell stories with my games at all. They just happen as a result of me playing games. So the rule systems that I have enable stories to unfold from them. And they're good ones. So I don't feel, like you, I don't feel the need for a new GURPS or even a new Savage Worlds or the cipher system which keeps taunting me but I know I'm never going to use it because why would I when I've got all those other generics and yet and yet and yet if I were a new gamer I would probably be drawn towards uh the Star Wars games the fantasy flight are doing yeah based on Star Wars and and that would be, and they're good introductory games and and they're, they're good big games behind them and I bet there's people playing role-playing games now who'd, who just know those dice and they would utterly struggle with any of the sort of other stuff that we play or i'd probably get into dnd and i'd probably have people show me how that works and by that i might get into pathfinder all big crunchy rule systems but coming from either of those into a game of call of cthulhu with any system whether it be Trail or basic or cthulhu dark at a convention is gonna feel like you've stepped into a whole new world and it always does doesn't it when you leave your your home system just like Luke Skywalker did everything else is foreign um, but you've got plenty more places to go these days than you used to have and I wonder if there's like too many destinations so you never do leave your home planet your home system <laughs> because it's it's kind of comfy and you don't know which direction to head in is, is that is there a case for that that there's too much choice so you don't make one
1: uh, perhaps I think you just Stuff. I think I might have mentioned in a previous podcast that I'd just been to Worlds for Netrunner and one of the guys there who came in top 16 as well, Noah McKee he posted on a forum afterwards saying like oh you know i am quite fancy trying this role playing like so I've picked up Shadowrun and to, to my horror at first I was kind of like oh god no because that's another one of those massive massive tomes I was thinking like that's the mm. one of the worst games you can start with and so I, I gave him some loads of advice about what I would possibly do etc. They came back within a week and was like, "Yeah, we've had a first game. We've made some characters. We've done this, that, and the other. Day. It's all great so stuff. We're loving it. So it's kind of
0: <laughs> good for him.
1: <laughs> as, as me as an old hand looking at what a new person might want, I've obviously not got a handle on it at all. <laughs> or, or they're just mm. you know, they've no they no baggage or expectations. So when a rule says do this, they do it because that's what the rules say and they do not really worry about, oh well, if this was earth done, it'd be done better or anything like that. And they just kind of like I'm doing what it says on the in the book, and it all seems to work out quite nicely. Thank you very much. Mm. So. Yeah I have got this kind of second hand worry about new people and how they will approach things but I think if people are happy to engage with the book and play it as it's written quite often they get a good experience out of it because let's face it most people certainly the bigger companies who publish games know what they're doing, they've playtested it, it's been edited and proofread and all the rest of it so they're not like bad pieces of work for all our complaints about systems we don't like or how we change the encumbrance, actually they're pretty good text aren't they I'm not sure what it's...
0: Although I have a feeling that there's too many systems, there clearly aren't. I don't have to buy them. It's not (laughs) like they're being forced into my house. But I do feel a a, a pressure to keep up sometimes. Um, And I think for me, uh, I I, I think I would just like to see anybody who wants to write a new game, by all means, knock yourselves out. But first, and and this is a lesson to myself really, I would say try writing some adventures and I, this really is a lesson for me not a lesson for anybody else because I, I kind of bemoan the fact that you can't get adventures for games anymore and um and i don't believe that adventures don't sell because paizo do a very good job and have built an entire company out of doing adventure paths uh, and there are people who, who can get it done but i can't find decent adventures for for pulp I can't find any for science fiction, I can't find any... I can find some for horror, actually, because Call of Cthulhu's had a grand tradition of doing good scenarios, but it just seems to be quite hard to find that level of content. And if there is content out there, it tends to be source books, because we're talking about systems, but there's an awful lot of people writing source books or gazetteers or stuff about factions and so on, which which read like encyclopedias, and very often they're a good read, but I just want something that I can play. And, and I can play an adventure more readily than I can play a new system. And and maybe hack that adventure into the genre of my choice. But I absolutely bemoan the lack of any decent sci-fi adventures. Yeah. Tell me I'm wrong, guys. Tell me there's loads out there. But all the people who are writing science fiction games, I wish they'd write me a science fiction adventure first.
1: Yeah, well, we have constantly been around, haven't we? There's not a good science fiction Game per se, maybe Star Wars is it these days. I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm thinking like to old school stuff. Actually, again, as we tend to do, we're sounding more and more doddery each podcast. But things like Earth on Serpent River was um, ostensibly about this Serpent River, which snakes around save the main part of the the game world where stuff happens. But it had extra bits in there about uh, there was like new monsters and stuff about different clans of the the Scrang, these lizard people, and. um just loads of cool little bits along the way about this kind of like a uh, uh, religious pilgrimage route and stuff like that, and where it led to, and that turned into something else in a later adventure book and stuff. But and each paragraph kind of had like an interesting thing about it, and it had some new stuff in there and some new spells and bits and pieces, and it just had like a it was just a mixed bag of cool stuff you can use in your game, and something like that was that really useful. And going even further back, something like Cults of Prax for Inquest when that first came out. Ostensibly, again, that's just a bunch of new cults or details about cults in this game. But there was a sidebar for each one for a, a, a traveling merchant who was going around and, and his adventures or mishaps along the way. And each one of those adventures mm. or mishaps you could easily convert into a scenario for your players. And then there was other stuff in the details of the, the story, so some kind of like story along with what you're doing, some new spells, some new cults, a couple of new baddies, uh, new relationships, ideas for scenarios. Those are kind of books that I quite like, I miss a little bit. And probably another one I'd call out, uh, which removed all the system bit to the end, was uh, for Slay Industries, there was Karma, which was written like it was a glossy magazine mm. with loads of pictures and articles and like different uh, voices used to describe different bits of it. And in the back was all the system stuff mm. you needed. But it gave you loads of cool ideas and a feel for the setting, and it was dripping with atmosphere. And, then, and it did give you all these new bells and whistles as well to you, so... I think those sort of books are ones I call out from yesterday here as the good sort of stuff I'd like to see or that I miss these days Uh, because it seems to be a Mm. little bit too much about creating a whole new game or creating a specific game for this one thing that you'll play for four weeks and then you'll get rid of it I'd like to see more Mm. mixed bags of stuff I guess so you've got a bit of something for everyone and it'll keep your interest that way as well I think or it certainly keeps mine when it's a bit of a mixture I don't need, you know, you don't need a weapons book that's just got four hundred pages of guns. No, that's not going to help me out. No, no, I I
0: agree that that's the kind of stuff that I like too. It's um, and you see a lot of that in uh, the newer old school stuff. So, uh, I mean, a great example is um, Deep Carbon Observatory, which is bonkers. Absolutely recommend anyone pick it up. You don't have to be a D anD d player because God knows you won't feel like one at the end of it. It's, it's a really, really strange book, but it's full of imagination, absolutely chocked with it, and it's got all kinds of strange creatures, strange locales, strange plots, uh, strange decisions, really strange artwork, but literally inspiring. And it gives the barest nod to the, to the rules at all. I mean, it forgets to give anybody a charisma stat. <laughs> Actually, I don't think it does forget at all. I think it just doesn't bother and assumes you'll just play it according to the personality. Yeah. So all the NPCs have only got five stats and and some hit points. So it's like, you know, oh, come on, guys, you know how to roleplay and you probably know how to play D&D, so this will do. But let me get to the cool shit that I'm going to tell you about this corpse that's floating down a flooded river and, and who this villager is that's strapped to them and why they are. It's just clever, clever, clever. Inspiring read, very different all the way through, eminently liftable in the same way that Serpent River was. You could take something from Serpent River... And put it into into any game, even if you weren't playing Earththorn You could take something from Karma, and you could apply that sort of flash to your Star Wars game. Arguably, it's just good. And it's is it system neutral? None of those books were system neutral, were they? Uh, you know, no. Serpent Rivers not system neutral. Karma's not system neutral. It's well within its setting, but it's the the mechanics didn't matter too much. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah as I say in selling one or two of those books the mechanics are kind of shoved off to one side so it's here's all the kill cool stuff mm. and then you flip to the appendix to get your your stats or your, your bits and pieces like that because they didn't want it to interfere with a kill cool story or bits and pieces they were telling you at the time
0: mm. oh. uh, on the flip side of that though if you fast forward to today uh, I guess one of my grumpy old man things that I get well grumpy about is um, is seeing settings that have been uh, redone with yet another rule system uh, and some settings are on their fourth or fifth maybe even more we mentioned Conan earlier I can't imagine how many iterations that's been through and I don't think it's a rule system that's been holding it back particularly um, even stuff like Eclipse Phase or Actun Cthulhu or anything that gets kick-started um, there's there's kind of a cool thing out Uh, for for D&D-style games. It's by Sasquatch Studios. Primeval Thule, that's what it's called. And it's been released for about four or five different systems at this point. And it's... (laughs) I don't want to demean those guys, because I'm sure they do a really good job, but they clearly had to write a reasonably generic setting in the first place, because they knew they'd have to Pathfinder it, Savage Worlds it, Fate it, and all the other things they would have to do to it. And it kind of, like, rasps off all of the good edges of all of the things that those rule systems bring because Savage is arguably a bit pulpy and Fate is arguably again a little bit narrative and they're just different they bring different things yeah. and when you see the same setting with just you know a great big appendix of various mechanics behind it you think oh, it can't serve any one of those masters very well can it?
1: No it's, it's unfortunate. So, I think is it is one that what they did that particularly irritated me there were several things, but I don't want to bash them too much. But they had uh, Cthulhu rules and Savage World rules in the same book, but they just put them right next to mm. each other. So you had equipment charts, and it's kind of one page is Cthulhu Sixth Edition, and the other page is Savage Worlds. Like, so you've got this double praise spread up, and you're only interested in half of it. So you've got, you know, it just mm. so every other page you don't care about, and that's just like madness. It's like surely split them out at least, or something to it, so you can skip to the one that you're interested in. That oh, yeah. kind of stuff's crazy, yeah. And then, um, yeah, I worked on uh, savaging something up for someone or being a, a, a what was it a, not a line developer, but a developer, I guess, on the role playing project. And that was something where the guy had written some new adventures for a Savage World system. It turned out he was a Pathfinder guy, and it really showed because the, mm. the scenario he'd written was things like you know, you touch this electrical plate and you take one d4 damage, and he just ported that to Savage Worlds and that kind of damage in that system is meaningless, it'll do nothing for you you might shake someone mm. and then they get rid of it and you carry on so that, that kind of electric plate thing while it works in a game like D&D where you're trying to sap hit points because it's a pacing mechanism, doesn't make any sense at all in Savage Worlds, but they just try to port it straight yep. across going well it's the same adventure but we'll just use it you know, with two different systems to sell it to twice as many people and it's that kind of mentality that you can just kind of well we've got a good idea for a scenario and we'll just put a different rule on it It doesn't really wash sometimes because like you say different rules are trying to give you different things you know maybe different again if it was fate or something else you know that would be a totally different you know you wouldn't care about an electrified plate on a floor so it's a minor example but that could be expanded out into a hundred examples I could give you for different things and the the way the scenario was structured that wouldn't work for a different uh, system
0: yeah it it definitely could Uh, I've converted a bunch of stuff I've converted loads of uh, Pathfinder adventures to the dnd of my choice so it's not it's not like a major conversion is it? it's not like i converted it into eclipse phase <laughs> that, that'd be weird um <laughs> but um i've done that sort of thing but if you've got like a really good plot or a really good thing and it's attached to a game let's say i don't know you've got a really cool scenario for age of arthur and that's the thing you want to do well then why don't we play it using the rules that it was meant to be played with Yes, yeah. it's going to be a few sessions. I've played more than one system in my life. I quite like a change every now and again. I don't, even though I've got a love of D anD. d I've got no particular attachment to the d twenty, and I don't want all my games to be rolling a d twenty. I don't think there is such a thing as the perfect game, and although I think there's a million too many systems, and I'd like to see people be more creative with the systems they've got, I still don't want there to only be one system. So let's play Age of Arthur. With the rules it was written for, and let's play Eclipse Phase with the rules it's written for, and it's been for a few, for goodness' sake. But let's just just play that setting. And do you know what? Let's play Blue Planet even with its crap rules. I don't mind because it's <laughs> Blue Planet I came for, not the rules. And and a good game will we can get past that, can't we? You know, or just you know house rules something instead of trying to write a new game system from scratch for it.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think it's still use your favorite. Um, system for a different setting, for example I'm running a bit of Savage Worlds Glorantha, so it's Rune Quest 2 but using Savage Worlds, but mm. you've just got to bear in mind that will change the nature of the game and how it feels and it is, I mean you, you probably wouldn't know because you've not played it before necessarily, but I played tons of RuneQuest Quest 2 back in the day and this, the whole mm. way this this is shaking out feels a whole lot different because you've just not got that threat of having your left arm cut off every two seconds or dying in between right. character, so the feel of the game is different, so it's probably been mindful of that you can use your favourite setting or make your own one or something else but just be aware the experience you get out of it will change based on mm. how your rules work uh, and it's certainly worth giving mm-hmm. rule sets a go to see whether you like them or not rather than just always having I don't know I think it was a quote about art that I heard but when I was younger but it's kind of like a, there's a guy who likes meat and potatoes or whatever. so he always had meat and potatoes on a Thursday and that's all he ever had and you were kind of like pleased for him because he got that stuff that you liked but also wish you would have a lasagna every now and again, because he might really like it. He just doesn't know. Mm. So, yeah, try try yeah. new stuff, but, you know, you never know. You might not like it, but unless you try, you might find your new favourite system. Who knows? You know. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, all right. Uh, I don't know if we've, we've answered the question, whether there's too many systems or... Because I don't think we want to stop people making new systems, um, but... Uh, Oh, I, I think for me, my summary would be I see an awful lot of systems hitting the market or old games uh, being reapplied to new systems and it, it's getting a bit circular for me and and, uh, and and that's maybe just the size of my library, I don't know. Um, but I think I I, li- I like seeing stuff that's happening with really creative stuff and that's not always tied to a system. Um, and, and even and when it is, it's down the indie end of the spectrum. But um, I don't think new games necessarily need new systems when there's plenty of stuff that, that's, that would maybe be a spur to creativity in another direction. And I, I think I'm probably bemoaning the lack of adventures in certain genres. And that would be my example of that. So yeah, probably haven't answered the question from my end. You got any closer to a conclusion, mate?
1: Not really. I've had too much cough syrup today, so I'm getting a bit rambling, delusional. But um, <laughs> more than <laughs> probably, no one's noticed. <laughs> but, but, but it feels like that in mm, my head anyway. Could be. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd say don't necessarily go out there and look for a new system, or think that's going to solve any problems, or be you know, system on its is not a thing. You're, you're looking for the whole package, aren't you? With go out and try new stuff. Mm-hmm. New settings, new systems, new mixes of both, uh, but do it as a whole and um, try embracing something new before you try and change it. I guess it's easy to read a system and go, oh, actually, I know I could fix this. Well, just give it a few shakes as it sits and see whether you like it or not. It might might give some new ideas or inspire spite changes in other systems that you've got. I don't know. Hack things and play around. Just play games. I guess.
0: Okay, right. Well, that brings us to uh, to the end of another discussion. The <laughs> 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 listeners could be the judge of whether it was a, <laughs> a, <laughs> a fruitful one or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you need to do it on cough syrup. <laughs> It'll all come out in the edit, mate. Don't worry. Uh, okay, so that's it for the for the smart party for this week. Uh, more still to come. Um, speaking of which, though, if if you've got ideas for topics, stuff you do want to hear us uh, moan about how it was better in the good old days, uh, chuck it up there on the smart party blog, or, or become a Patreon for as little as a dollar, and it will take you even more seriously than just some random noob on the internet. Uh, but give us some topics. Um, we've got loads in the pipeline but we would love to be addressing our listeners concerns directly which would be a good thing for us to do so yeah get in touch through the usual manners
1: yeah excellent thanks a lot guys and as usual if you've got any comments on what we've been talking about if there's something we've missed something you'd like to expand upon if you think there's a great system that we just may not have even seen and need a shout out give us a bell, give us a shout, give us a line buy us a pint at a convention and we'll talk about it some more. Cheers then <laughs>